Well, welcome to Sunday morning worship. Thank you for uh, being online and being here in the sanctuary. We're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 5. Again, uh, we're looking, we're going to be reading verse 43 uh, down through verse 48. This is the sixth illustration that Jesus is giving, uh, illustrating the premise of the Sermon on the Mount. And it is a phenomenal illustration. And the climax of it is what we've been dealing with uh, last Sunday and this Sunday, uh, which has to do with perfection. Verse 48, be perfect. Uh, so we want to read the entirety of the illustration again just to get it back in your mind. So uh, turn with me, if you will, to uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your enemy, your neighbor, and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun to rise on the just and on the unjust. He makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends his rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward of you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Oh Lord, it's a high standard, and it's easy to get confused. And in confusion, it's easy to rationalize, to set things aside, to excuse. After all, I am who I am. I pray, Lord, for a clarity, for a development of truth, for a revelation of who you are, for you to somehow, some way, in the moments that we are together, uh, like this, surrounded by your presence, infiltrated by your word, that you would reveal who you are to us. And we would see the amazing possibility. I'm so sorry, oh God, for every time I've demeaned and belittled the cross of Jesus. Every time I've looked at the blood of Christ and I've, I, I've excused myself like it was not adequate for my life. Every time I've lived in sin instead of victory and, and, and thought it was because of you, you, you just weren't able to bring victory into my life. Every time I wouldn't forgive and I realized you had already forgiven and I didn't live up. I, I, I'm sorry that I've demeaned you. I've slapped you in the face. I've belittled all that you've done. May the cross and all your resource for our lives literally be expanded in our thinking. May we see the immensity of the possibilities of the redemption that you brought to us in a new way today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. Verse 48. Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is a climax of the six illustrations. Uh, or it's a climax of the last illustration. Uh, and it's a kind of a summary that brings everything together that he's been trying to say to us. So here is a, here is a summary statement of all that Jesus wants for your life. Uh, the country of England was in a major mess headed for a... Um, for a civil war. Uh, France ended up in one. Uh, 
But England was saved from one because God raised up a man by the name of John the Baptist or John Wesley. And John Wesley uh, back in 1750 began to preach a message. He was an Anglican of the Church of England. And in that setting uh, there was a lot of formality, a lot of ceremonies that were going on. There wasn't reality in his religion. And he was desperate, desperate, desperate to know God. And in his desperation, he began to search the scriptures and to seek. And God brought him into an encounter with himself. And he began to preach this encounter idea that an individual could actually have an encounter with God himself. That in itself, ladies and gentlemen, is a phenomenal idea. That a person, me, you, could actually have an encounter with the sovereign almighty God and he would actually embrace me and do something in my life and that he had built me for the very purpose of that encounter and relationship. And Wesley began to preach that. Uh, he, in that discovery and in that message, he began to talk about what we call and what he called prevenient grace which was the overwhelming fact that this encounter does not start with you. It starts with God. That you don't initiate this, he initiates this. That he's come after you, you didn't come after him. And this whole idea of prevenient grace, that God is literally hounding every single individual because he wants intimacy with them and he wants to embrace them in the fullness of who he is. Uh, the prevenient grace idea that God has literally stuck his fingers in the middle of your life and is literally manipulating the situation to bring you into an encounter of, with him and that you don't have desires for him unless he has come to you and has implanted those dreams and desires within you. What, what a phenomenal idea. And if you will follow that, that urging of God, see the the urging you have within, the desire you have to be better than you are, the desire you have to be forgiven, the overwhelming awareness that you're not adequate, you're not what you ought to be, it's all, all a result of this touch of God upon your life. If you will follow that, he will bring you into an embrace of his presence. This encounter thing. And Wesley said the beginning of this encounter thing, you start in this encounter thing with forgiveness. And God forgive us if we've ever uh, demeaned or belittled the whole forgiveness idea. The idea of forgiveness is just phenomenal. That sin can actually be forgiven. The wonder of that, ladies and gentlemen, that all of my guilt can actually be taken away, cleansed, removed, it can be no more. The overwhelming fact of forgiveness. And forgiveness, of course, is not a substance. We, we understand that. You understand that. You don't, you don't come to me or I come to you and say, will you forgive me? And you say, oh, yeah, I've got some here someplace. Where did I put it? You, see, you don't go down to Walmart to buy it. It, isn't some, it is, doesn't have substance. It isn't something I can give you in that sense. Forgiveness is embrace. Forgiveness is restoring a, recon a, a, a reconciliation, the scripture calls it. 
that forgiveness is God and you coming together and there's no wall anymore and there's no animosity anymore and there is acceptance between the two and, and what is it that keeps you from intimacy with God? It is this sin business. So a holy God cannot enter into your life. You can't have an encounter with a holy God. He cannot embrace you unless he deals with the issue of sin in the beginning of it. So God is light, First John said, and in him is no darkness at all. So there is no way he's going to march into your life with the sin that's there. Something has to be done with that and he's done it in the cross of Jesus Christ. The immensity of the forgiveness of sins. The hugeness of forgiveness. Every sin, every time, all the time forgiven. In every man's life. Think of the possibilities. The wonder of forgiveness. That there is no sin in my life that he can not and will not and has not already forgiven. The forgiveness embrace of the person of God who starts by forgiving me in the embrace. And that reconciliation of God and man in forgiveness uh, spawns a, an embrace in my inner being with his presence, an intimacy in his presence that I've never, ever, ever been able to have before. Because again, the walls are down. Oh, the things are clear now. He and I are together. I am forgiven. Could you ever get over that? Could you ever just stop wondering in the, in the amazement of that? Could you ever get over the awesomeness of that experience in your life? You have been encountered by God and you are forgiven. But this forgiveness brings up an issue because when he enters into my life and, and, and begins in the, with the forgiveness issue and literally forgives me of all my sins and embraces me and relationship begins to take place, the very core of sin itself begins to raise its head. And by sin itself, I'm not talking about the deed that I've been doing, the deeds I've been doing, and the guilt that's come from that, but the nature of sin that is within me. And suddenly I realize there's an inner conflict going on here. There's God who's invaded my life and embraced me in his fullness, but there is also this element of me that, that wants my own way and wants to do my own thing. And that, that conflict, that that. Oh, I want his will, but at the same time, there's that which is within me that says, I, I want my own way, and I want God's will as long as it coincides and benefits my way. And in that, in that, in that conflict, in that conflict, in that civil war, I begin to realize there's something deep inside of me that needs to be taken, needs to be taken care of. That forgiveness, not demeaning, forgiveness, no belittling, not forgiveness, wouldn't make fun of. But forgiveness opens the door to give me the awareness that there is this conflict, there is this nature. Now I want to be very clear that it's not human nature. Uh, Wesley was very strong on this and it, the Bible is very clear about this. It's not human nature. Well, it, it's not normal. And of course we look at each other and wouldn't it be awful if we've all been so abnormal for so long and everybody we've seen has been so abnormal that that's become normal. But it's not normal with the human being to be sinful. God did not create us 
with sin. Adam and Eve didn't have sin until the fall. They didn't have this sin nature until the fall. This is a, this is a bent. This is a tendency towards. This is a, the old timers call it a propensity. There, it, is, it is a leaning towards this nature that wants its own way. And we, of course, label it, the Bible calls it carnality. Uh, the Bible calls it the old man, which has nothing to do with your dad. It has to do with, compared to the new man that now has come to be within you. And the new experience that you have become. Uh, it has to do with the flesh, which again has nothing to do with flesh and bones or, or skin. It has to do with a tendency, this inner nature. And it's a parasite, ladies and gentlemen, a parasite that has literally reached out and, and affixed itself, attached itself. It's a leech that is literally sucking us dry. And again, it's not normal, and it's not necessary, and it shouldn't be. It's destructive. It's ruining us. It's not a part of human nature. It's, it, it's, a, it's sinful nature that has attached himself like this parasite that's eating on us, a cancer that's devouring us. And when forgiveness comes, oh, the wonder of forgiveness. And sin is, is, is cleansed in my life and forgiveness, the walls are down and he embraces me. This tendency begins to raise its head. This civil war, this, this, this inclination inside that says, I want my own way. And God says to comes and says, I want you to go in this direction. But see, I, I, I want to go in the other direction. There's, there's, this, and I, there, there's this battle that's set up. Now it's interesting that every theological system, every church denomination, every group of religious people in the world believe that. What I've just stated to you, they all believe. There's no division in any of that. From the Catholics all the way down to the Pentecostals, to the Baptists, to the Methodists, to the Lutherans, to everybody you want to name. In the, in the Christian movement, we all agree on what I've said to you. The difference where we don't agree is on when is this nature taken care of? The Catholics came up, of course, with the whole idea of purgatory, which was an in-between state between heaven, because everybody agrees you can't go to heaven with this nature. This nature is not going to be in heaven. There'll be no sin in heaven. So sometime between now and heaven, this thing has to be taken care of. This parasite, this tendency in my life has got to be solved. That thing has got to be done away with. And again, the whole idea of purgatory was, was, was a place where this could be worked out before I get to heaven. Uh, there's a whole other realms who say, oh, you have, to, you have to work on it all your life. And if you will work on it all your life, uh, resisting it, putting it down, this inclination, this, 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 this tendency, if you, if you will keep stepping on it and resisting it and obeying God, it'll slowly, slowly, slowly come to death. And by the time you die physically, it will die as well and you'll go to heaven. Uh, it was the idea of the good dog, bad dog, feed the good dog, starve the bad dog, eventually the bad dog will die. It was that concept. Wesley discovered in the scriptures that in this encounter, think of this, in this encounter with God, all oh, forgiveness takes place. My, 
Hey, he has forgiven me of my sins, which allows him to invade my flesh and go to the depth of my inner heart and literally embrace me in his fullness. But the minute he does that, this inclination, this parasite raises its head. But wouldn't it be something if the cross of Jesus Christ, if the resource of all that Jesus got done is adequate for that as well? Wouldn't it be something if God, who's now at the core of my life, in my openness to him, could literally go to the core of my life and bring a cleansing, a crucifixion, if you please, as in scriptural terms, a crucifixion of all that's not of him, that that parasite can't be forgiven, that parasite could be brought to death. And I could be free. Wouldn't that be something? Is the cross of Jesus Christ, his death, adequate for that? And of course we have verses like, oh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Oh, forgiveness and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all righteous unrighteousness. Wow. And would that unrighteousness would that parasite, would that inclination not be contained within that unrighteousness? Could Jesus be the solution? His death be the solution, the total solution for the total sin problem of my life. And Wesley began to preach this. And you know what he called this? Christian perfection. And of course when he said that, when he called it that, People just turned green. I mean, whoa. They just kind of raised up out of their seat and said, you've got to be crazy. Nobody's perfect. And they just shut him down and somehow turned their brain off and quit thinking. He said, come on, guys. Think with me. Think of what I'm talking about. Well, nobody's perfect. Well, we understand that in the normal sense that we've looked at your face. We know you're not perfect. So we understand that. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about Christian perfection. So Wesley began to try to explain this. Which if you're not, if you're not thinking and you're not listening, then there's no way to explain it anyhow. But he began to try to explain this. And he started by talking about what it is not. Obviously, Christian perfection is not knowledge perfection. If you think you're going to know everything, you're not. So obviously we're not talking about perfect knowledge in any sense of the word. Because that would make you omniscient like God is and you're never going to be that. So perfect knowledge is not within the category of Christian perfection. You're never going to know everything. And if you don't know everything, then you walk into situations where obviously you don't know everything. And you make judgments which are not right. You make decisions which are wrong. Therefore, you're not perfect in your judgment either. And therefore, you make mistakes. So we understand all of that because we're not talking about knowledge perfection or judgment perfection. In fact, the indication is that if you get to heaven, you still won't have perfect knowledge, which means you will still make mistakes because you won't have perfect knowledge to make judgments on. It's also interesting that he said, I want to tell you, we're not, we're not talking about location perfection because that would make you omnipresent. So obviously you're limited 
by humanity to one spot at one time. And we're certainly not talking about power perfection because that would make you omnipotent and only God has that. And certainly not talking about service perfection because we're never perfect in our service to God and our ministry. We always, oh, I should have said that or oh, I shouldn't have said that or, or hey, you took it the wrong way and it just, it didn't. See, we're not talking about mathematic perfection. Thank God for computers and and, and, and my bank account is in the computer and it fixes it for me. Because <laughs> uh, I'm just not perfect in my mathematics. Because my bank book would be in a constant mess. I, I'm not perfect in my driving. Which is why I Christians maintain insurance. Because we're just not perfect. Well if you're not perfect then why, how can there be? Well it's Christian perfection. What is Christian perfection? Well it is, it's this idea that at the core of my life, at the, at the heartbeat of my system, at the very essence of who I am, this encounter, oh, he's forgiven me. Thank God for forgiveness. And, and there's no wall between us. And, and the reconciliation has taken place. And, and now he marches into the depth of my life. And, and this parasite raises its head. This, this self-centeredness, this I want my own way, this I want to be my own God, raises its head. And, and, and I yield that to him. And in the immensity of his, of his resource in the crucifixion and resurrection, he bring, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And something has happened at the core of my life. He called that perfect. It is complete. I have one love. See, the dividedness is gone. The civil war is over. I have one passion and one burn and one desire. I have, I have one... One overwhelming focus in my life. There's, there's only one thing going on. One loyalty. One deal. It's him. And in perfect love. With no alien element. With perfect love. I am his. And he is mine. Christian Perfection, complete, all out, all in, absolute. It's done. It's finished. Well, manly, if you were if you had Christian perfection, you'd never be tempted. <laughs> That's not true. Come on, Adam and Eve, before the fall, did not have this 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 parasite. They were perfect in their relationship with God, and yet they were tempted. Jesus. Jesus didn't have this, this, this parasite and yet he was tempted at all points as we've been tempted. So this doesn't, but wouldn't it be something if the temptation were no longer in here? The temptation was out there. Oh, what a difference that makes in my life. That it's settled in here. That there is a security in here. That at the core of my life there is a completeness in here. That everything is right in here. That there is only one thing. There is no wavering in here. That there's one solidness in here. And that's he and I are together. And in this embrace and fullness of his nature and love. All temptation then comes from out. And can be dealt with by the power of his presence. Christian perfection. 
And Jesus is calling us, ladies and gentlemen, to a new level of involvement. It has to be. In fact, we dealt with the verb uh, last uh, Sunday, but let me remind you of it. Therefore, you shall be perfect and shall be is probably not a very good translation. It's the Greek word of me. It's a form of the Greek word of me, which is the I am that I am. It's a state of being. And you are going to be in this perfect, perfect state of being. Perfect love. Perfect resting. Perfect completeness within you. And, that, and it is in the future tense. And it is the indicative, which in the Greek language makes an imperative. Which means then, it's not going to come up sometime in the future, but it literally could be translated, and some of your translations do this, therefore you must be. In other words, this is the requirement of the new covenant. You must be, must be, has to be, not sometime in the future, but must be now in your life. This, this Christian perfection, this, this one thing, this completeness, this, this, it's all him, this, this, this one deal. My, what a cross we have. I want to try to give you some handles for this. And uh, as we, as we uh, walk through the passage in verse 48, that might help you in grasping this. Uh, one is the standard, and, and we've, we've mentioned this in some ways, but haven't gone into any detail on it. The, the standard of this perfection. And the standard of this perfection, of course, is what? The Father. I mean, you can't read the verse without getting that. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as... A just as is a conjunction. It's a comparative conjunction. And it says, hey, here's your perfection. And what's it going to be like? Just as. The same manner on the same standard. The standard, the requirement, the level of the perfection we're dealing with is your Father in heaven. Now that in itself is mind-boggling. That that could be the standard that I'm to have within the inner heart of my being. I in my heart passion. And again, again remember the heart is the core of your existence. It's the knife slicing you down the middle. And going to the core of what produces you. What makes you who you are. And there I am to be exactly as he is. That's the standard. Now this standard idea is not new to us because... Anytime you get into any kind of competition, and everything seems to be in competition, anytime you're in competition, you're comparing yourself to someone. Hey, I'm running a race. How well did I do? It's how well did I did in comparison to. And I ran a race once and won. I was the best in the group because I was the only one in the group. So I compared myself to myself. Which made a very high standard for me. And I just, I thought, I felt really good about myself. But, and, and don't, oh, don't we do that in Christianity? We compare ourselves to our, ourselves. But see, I'm not in competition with you. This is not how did you do compared to how I did. This is not where you are compared to where I am. This is not what you know compared to what I know. This, this is not in that realm. See, this is, this is the Father. Come on, drag your life in here. And, and, and stack it up against the Father. Now again, don't shrink from that. 
like, oh, I can't be God. You want me to know everything. We're not talking about perfect knowledge. We're not talking about mathematic, per mathematical perfection. We're not talking about knowledge perfection. We're not talking about location perfection, power perfection. We're not talking about any of that. What's he talking about in the passage? He's talking about the heart core of God himself, which is love. So here's the standard. Here's the standard on how you should feel. Here's the standard on what should be going down in your life. Here's the standard for what should be happening in your emotional makeup. Here's the standard for what should be expressed in your attitude. Here's the, here's the standard. It's the Father. It's the Father. Uh, Jesus told parables about this kind of stuff. Luke 18. Uh, he tells about this Pharisee who, of course, was comparing himself uh, and as he was praying, the Pharisee was praying, you remember in the sanctuary in the temple, he was saying, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Oh, you're so lucky to have me. I, th I thank you, God, that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And then he looked down and saw this tax collector crawling down the main aisle, beating his chest, not looking up, but staring at the floor, crying out, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And the Pharisee said, I'm not like him. You can always find someone worse than you are. <laughs> Who does worse things than you do. That can make you feel, but come on, he says, come in here and compare yourself to the heart of the Father. Oh, that's embarrassing, I know. But you see, that's the whole six illustrations that he's giving us in this passage that this is the climax of. The whole six illustrations. And his premise is, you're absolutely helpless. Absolutely helpless. But if you could be filled with the Father, what would happen? He would bring you to his level. Not, you're not going to be God. We're not proposing you're going to be God. Nobody, you're helpless. You're never going to be God. You're never going to get out of your helplessness. You're always going to be helpless. But in your helplessness... He does something within the human life. It's in the embrace, the encounter of his presence that he brings you into this, into this, this, this level, this, this experience in the heart of the being with his presence. And so he gives these six illustrations. And of course the first one is the murder thing. And, and well, yeah, the best I can do is not kill people. And he says, I want you to be like the father. Don't be angry. Don't be angry. Come on. Could you feel like the father feels? Could you feel like the father feels? And a second illustration. Well, I, I, I won't cheat on my wife. I don't commit adultery. Well, could, could you care like the father cares? Could you have the heart of the father? Could, could you meet his standard where you pour your life out for others? You view other people not with lust of what you can get and how you can use, but you see them as... As he sees them. And it goes on with these illustrations. This last one that we're dealing with of course is. It's that you could be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. Since rain on the just 
and on the unjust. And as we mentioned, I thought that was really beautiful. As we mentioned last Sunday, that the passage indicates this, this action of the Father. That it's not, he just put Mother Nature in, in, into being and walked off and left it. And so the sun rises and it just happens automatically. It isn't that. It's like he gets up every morning and says, oh, I want this filthy, unjust, sinful individual to have sunshine. <laughs> Like he wills it. Like he, like he burns for that to happen. Like I want the best for this guy. I want the, I want the rain for this individual. I want, I want the best for his life. Like, can you imagine a father who has nothing going on in his life for, towards you except one thing. I am all out for their best. Perfect. <laughs> Come on, I want you to be like that. <laughs> In the inner core of your being. That's the way I want you. I know you're not too bright. I got that. And I know you're, you're ignorant in lots of things. I know and you need. Hey keep your insurance on your vehicle. Because you're, you're going to have an accident. I got that. And you're not perfect in your judgments. And you make all kinds of mistakes. And you have to ask people to forgive you. And, and that's, all, that's all true. But could you at your heart level. Have this one completeness. Could you have this, this absolute abandonment. Could you, could you feel like the father feels. Would it be possible in my gut heart level to care like he cares that's the standard now if you're repulsed by that which you should be in the sense that oh I can't I can't do that you're right which is his premise that you're absolutely helpless See, every one of the illustrations proves my helplessness. So I'm absolutely helpless. There's no way to meet that standard. But he wants to come. So that brings us to the substance. See, the standard is the Father. Well, what's the substance of this? How's this going to take place? The Father. It's in the encounter. Do you realize how beautiful that is? That if, if the heart core of my life can be, can be his heart core, if, if what he cares about is now what I care about, if, if he invades and, and cleanses, the parasite is gone, and I have, without alloy, I have, I have one drive, one passion, one love, perfect love dwells in the inner being. It, it, where did this perfect love come from? It, it came from his nature. It's, it's him. And now... He is literally, he is literally filling me with the essence of who he is. Uh, Paul, of course, went crazy with this kind of concept and, and talked about over and over and over and over and over and over again. He talked about this in Christ and Christ in and, and, and this mixing, this, this, this coming together where, where I'm actually dwelling in him and he's actually dwelling in me and, and in that inner mixing of the indwelling presence of God, this, this, this standard. Oh, listen to these words. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. Come on, get over it. That not of yourselves. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Of course, we all know that verse. But the next verse, listen to this. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for every good work which God prepared before the before that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2 8 through 10. Listen to this again. For we are his workmanship. Now the word workmanship comes from the eye comes uh, is a form of the Greek word poieo which we, we don't have time to get into that again. But it's the idea of doing, but the idea of doing that spills out of the nature. Like the tree bearing fruit. The tree does fruit in the sense that it bears fruit. It's nature. It's its thing. So he says, you are the workmanship of God. Can you imagine an encounter with the divine? He brings me into this encounter. I, I, I respond to the encounter and say yes and he literally fills me with himself he en- embraces me with his presence and in that, for- in that presence is forgiveness A, the walls are down he embraces me he cleanses me every sin is for- he is faithful and just to forgive every sin and then he then this conflict arises this nature thing this this parasite raises its head I want my will over against his and I yield that thing to him and he takes it and yanks it from my life he destroys it he crucifies it he brings it to death it's a death of self-centeredness until there is only one thing going on in my life and at the core of my being there is a wholeness and a completeness he is the substance of my inner being I feel like he feels want what he wants desire what he desires who can argue about that who can say ah that's awful (laughs) who would who would resist that who who wouldn't just say hey I'm in if that's a possibility if the cross is that big if, if it's that great if, if, if this could happen if there's any inclination or possibility of that taking place in my life who would even, even hesitate to be rid of the conflict to live in the oneness of rest to abide in the essence of his being uh, Paul talked about the fruit of the spirit the works, 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 plural of the flesh, fruit, singular. See, you always come back to this, this, this completeness, this perfect thing, this, this absoluteness, this total abandonment, this nothing else is going on, this no wavering, this not one foot in one canoe and another foot in another canoe. That not, not that, boy, does, does that hurt. Not that. See, this, just this one single Hey, I am yours. It is settled. This is done. You have literally completed your presence at the core of my life. Christian perfection, he called that. Uh, Let me give you a third handle on this. There's, of course, the idea of the standard, which is the Father. And there is the substance, which, of course, is the Father's presence, the nature of the Father, literally within me. Uh, fulfilling this standard and there's the specifications which again is the father if you go to a dictionary you will find that specifications has has two aspects to it one is the precise requirement in other words what is absolutely the bottom line precise requirement to be Christian What, what is the new covenant 
all about? What does it take to be a son of the Father in heaven? What, what, is, what is involved in this? What is the specifications? What, what, what is the requirement to, to, to have that? And of course the requirement is you got to be a son. Well, how am I going to be a son? Well, you're going to have to be birthed. You're going to have to have the encounter. You're going to have to live in the encounter. And the encounter is what? It is he moves into the life. Forgiveness takes place. This element raises its head. Will you let him deal with that? Most of us have had no problem with the forgiveness. Oh, I need to be forgiven. Yes, thank you for forgiving me. Oh, I feel a lot better. See, we have no problem with that. But then as we live in the forgiveness, this element of selfishness, this element, this parasite raises its head. Will you deal with that? Well, what, what can I do about it? <laughs> this is not starve the good dog or starve the evil dog and, and feed the good dog stuff. Because that's something you do. This is Will you turn him loose? Will you say, go for it, Jesus? Will you take sides with him against yourself? Will you allow him to do what you can't possibly ever pull off? But that's the premise of the Sermon on the Mount. You're absolutely helpless. And in your helplessness, oh, he comes in the greatness of his nature. And in that encounter, in that fullness, in that merging, in that togetherness, he is adequate. Now another part of this specification is not only the precise requirement but is again it means the detailed description of the design and the material used to make something. So it's the detailed description of the design and material. It's the blueprint. So what's the blueprint of this whole Christian thing? What's, what's the whole blueprint of this new covenant deal? Well he started... It's interesting, all of these illustrations swing off of or spring from verse 20 where he comes and says, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And we've discussed this before. So he, he's comparing. Here's the old covenant. Here's the righteousness of the scribe and the Pharisee. Here it all is. Now I'm presenting to you a righteousness that exceeds that. And he's very specific about when this is going to take place. You will by no means enter. Meaning, you can't get into the kingdom until you've moved from here to here. In other words, this is the kingdom and this is the entrance, this embrace I'm talking about is the entrance that puts you in to the kingdom. So this is an absolute necessity. It's a specification. It's the blueprint that makes this thing up. It's the material out of which this experience is made. And what is this material? It's his presence. Which brings us, ladies and gentlemen, everywhere you go in the scriptures, back to the basic fundamental specification of the gospel, that it is a total, absolute abandonment of yourself to him. And the minute I dig in my heels and resist his will, I am in trouble. I am in trouble. This is a completeness. This is an abandonment. This is an all-outness. 
This is a totality. This is a perfection. This is an all-in kind of deal. This is okay, whatever you want. This is, yeah, you want to deal with the sin of my life and the guilt? Fine. You want to deal with the parasite that feeds on my nature? Help yourself. Whatever you need to change, whatever you need to adjust in my life, here I am. And in that kind of all-outness, he does what he needs to do. And I become perfect. Like he is. Jesus, it's an amazing, amazing truth. And again, God, I, how can I argue about that? If you want to do that in my life, how can I argue with you about it? Why would I waller in my self-attempts and failures when you want to do something huge within the core of my life? Why would I want a Christianity that I just meander along and try to pull off and try to, try to feel good about and try to appease my guilt. Why, why would I want that? Why would I even attempt that? Why would there be, why would I waller in my defeat? Why would I, why would I want to live in the battle and the struggle? When you are all there is. Have you not manipulated the very scene of my life to knock on my heart's door? Have you not been hounding me down? Have you not been seeking me? Have you not been pestering me? Working on me? Drawing me? Does not the very inward part of my being that wants you, where did that come from? Did you not place it there? The very fact that I'm aware I could be better than I am, did that not come from you? The very guilt that I feel that I'm not where I ought to be. Does that not come from you? Are you not working on me? Could I have an encounter with you today? Could you literally march into my life? Could you embrace me and in amazing forgiveness cleanse me? Cleanse me. Could the walls be down? Could you and I enter into embrace? You and me, God. Could, could we become one? Could you literally embrace me today? In the name of Jesus, could you reach into to my life and, and deal with the civil war? Could you bring the parasite to death? Did you already do that when you died? Is it already accomplished? Could I embrace you today and find fullness, completeness, perfect love? Could you settle it within me? Heads are bowed. Wherever you are, would you embrace him? Would you just open up as he embraces you? Whatever you need, forgiveness, the parasite of self-centeredness, would you let him deal totally with you? Would you, just, would you just abandon yourself today? Would you just leap in? Would you just settle it regardless of what the circumstances are, regardless of what the problems you're facing, regardless of, of what the consequences you might be, regardless of all of the imagery that the devil might bring to your mind about what would happen if you did? Would, would you just abandon? Would you just trust him? Would you just abandon yourself? Would you just turn him loose? Jesus, in this simple moment, I turn you loose to literally flood my life 
no aspect not under your control, no hesitation, no door closed, nothing hidden. Embrace me in the fullness of your being that I might be like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for your kindness. I want to just say uh, personally uh, thank you, thank you, thank you to all of those who have responded and uh, sent uh, texts and who say they are watching and uh, are participating and apart. And thank you uh, for all of those who have uh, uh, continued to give financially and to send through the mail uh, offerings and we're so grateful. We just absolutely do not take that for granted because I know it's, um, thank you, you went out of your way and, and we deeply appreciate it. So we'll be back Wednesday night uh, here online uh, for the Wednesday night Bible study. And I got so much criticism because it was so short, so I'm going an hour and a half this coming Wednesday night <laughs> to make up, to cover and atone for my guilt. So, uh, so blessings on you. Have a great week. We're praying with and for all of you as well.